Welcome to Artificiality, where minds meet machines. We founded Artificiality to help people make sense of artificial intelligence. Every week, we publish essays, podcasts, and research to help you be smarter about AI. Please check out all of Artificiality at www.artificiality.world. One of our research obsessions is Edge AI, through which we study opportunities to build and deploy AI on computing devices at the edge of a network. The premise is that AI in the cloud benefits from scale, but is challenged by cost and privacy, and Edge AI solves many of these challenges by eliminating cloud computing costs and keeping data within secure environments. Given this interest, we were excited to talk with Rodrigo Liang, the co-founder and CEO of Samba Nova Systems, which has built a platform to deliver enterprise-grade chips, software, and models in a fully integrated system purpose-built for AI. In this interview, Rodrigo discusses how his company is enabling enterprises to adopt AI in a secure, customizable way that builds long-term value by building AI assets. Their full-stack solutions aim to simplify AI model building and deployment, especially by leveraging open-source frameworks and using modular, fine-tuned expert models tailored to clients' private data. Thanks again to Rodrigo for joining us. We hope you enjoy it. Rodrigo, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start off by talking about what inspired you to start Samba Nova? What was it that, that got this you and your team together to create this company? I've personally been in the high-performance uh, computing uh, industry for 20, 27 years now. And, uh, and, and my co-founders uh, are both professors at Stanford, and they've been doing research on high-performance computing, artificial intelligence, uh, data, data, databases for a long, long time as well. And so uh, one of the things that we've seen in Silicon Valley over the years is you have these inflection points on technologies, you know, on technology. We saw we saw this with the internet. We saw this with the mobile uh, 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 transition, and now we're seeing with artificial intelligence that there are these technology inflection points that come and just completely change everything that we have to do. We have to you know, how we have to think about things. Everything we have to plan on a 10, 20 year horizon versus things that come in and change what you do for the next couple quarters, right? And so, so this is what excited us about artificial intelligence, that back in 2016, 2015, 2016, you could start seeing the technology start to come together. As you know, AI has been around for decades, but now it's kind of come together as a piece of um, uh, applicable technology that allows us to bring it to mainstream. And, and along with that, some great opportunities for us to help uh, companies help uh, um, us as a society and how to actually make the best use of it. And so we decided to start this company to to help support that. So you've you've taken what I I think of as a little bit as a contrarian approach, right? So um, so much a focus of AI is large scale data centers, large scale compute, <coughs> put everything in the cloud, and you've got a contrarian approach of putting uh, things on a box uh, and a full stack on a box so that people can use it more locally. What drove you to that path and that strategy? Well, contrarian, uh, I view it as contrarian only, in the extent, uh, only to the extent that today is not what most people do. Um, but if you, think of, if you think back about uh, most, most new technologies and when they showed up, in most cases, people started in very controlled environments. I think about when the databases came in, 
think about you know, you know your your uh, um, you know, most of the data that you have is extremely private, and you, when you're just getting familiar and accustomed to new technology, you want to control you want to control the variables there, and so the um, the consumer the consumer user um, you know my kids they're 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 you know they're uh, 20 and 22, and so they, they, they can use the technology. They want to try new things and see you know, all the capabilities. As we get into enterprise, which is where some of our focus is, this becomes something that people are significantly more deliberate about, right? Why? Because the types of things you want to do, you're significantly more um, concerned about the security and privacy of it. The types of things that you want to do, you're significantly more concerned about the accuracy of the results. And hallucinations aren't great in banking environments, for example, right? Hallucinations aren't great in healthcare environments, for example, right? And so when you get into enterprise, into governments, into businesses where the accuracy of the results matter, the verifiability of the results, where your data privacy is really important, you don't want to be accidentally disclosing things into the public domain, all of those things you actually look at history, they do exactly what we're promoting, which is bring the technology into a secure environment first, right? Use it in a secure environment first and build around that. Once you actually have great confidence in it, start deciding where you can expand, where you can actually have more exposability of your models without having kind of this, hey, let me just throw it out into open domain and see what happens, right? It's, it's, yeah, and we've seen that already, right? In the last year, you've seen you know, some some accidents happen where you know, people have disclosed things they did not intend to and has some significant consequences. So our view of it is um, make sure that companies have control of how they bring the data and bring the models and bring all the benefits of AI in a controlled way, get them comfortable with it and give them full control of that. And along the way, be able to then build their own expertise and knowledge around this, which is the other reason why we did what we did, which is try to encapsulate all of the complexities of AI into something significantly easier to use, just because the other constraint that you know, we can talk about that, you know, in a bit is not just the technology availability of chips and things like that, but the skill set availability of how many people know how to train these models, mm-hmm. right? And you may want to go to a Google, you may go to Meta, you may go to some of these uh, big AI shops, but most Fortune 500 companies I talk to struggle hiring enough machine learning experts. They, they may even come to Sambanova because we're on the leading edge of building new, new models, right? But finding that talent, you know, and being able to actually make use of the infrastructure is also difficult. So by us taking this privacy approach, a very controlled uh, need that enterprises have, marrying that with just bringing a lot of the complexity and making it significantly easier for enterprises uh, to get into AI has become a recipe that allowed us to grow very, very quickly in these enterprise environments. Perhaps describe for our um, listeners the the full stack uh, that you have, because you have your own proprietary hardware, software, but you're bringing in open source models as well. How would they think about what this is like if it comes out of the box and it goes into the rack? What are they, what are they, they're working with. I'll give to you two a distinction that I really want your audience to think about, especially the audience that's thinking about enterprise class use cases and driving driving AI transformation into their business, right? And how you view AI and how you actually how how you strategically plan for AI will determine how your organization 
integrates AI for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. Okay, And the way that we actually describe to people is you can look at AI as a tool or AI as an asset. And a lot of people are like, what the hell is that, right? And so I, I kind of describe to people, a tool is something that you purchase to save you money, save you time, save you people, save you effort, right? And so, you know, you, you can look at Microsoft Excel. That's a tool, right? Anybody that has X amount of money can buy that product. That product gets integrated and you save time, save money, save, save effort, right? And so that's, that's one way to think about it. The other way to think about AI is you're trying to create an asset, and an asset is something where you're creating value in that thing year after year after year, where the currency of investment is your data, right? That over time, as you increase value in that thing, there is no amount of money that somebody can have that could purchase that piece of asset because you own it, mm-hmm. right? And so... That's a very – so do you want to have something that everybody else could buy if you just have the money? It's just a choice of ROI. Or do you want something that allows you to compete better because it knows your products, your services, your customers, your market, your geography, your region? All It knows your business better than anybody else and allows you to compete better there. And so that's decision number one. Where right? decision number one is, is it a tool or is it an asset? Someone over – we're in the business of building your assets, Right, where AI is that model, and we help you accrete value in that model for de- for the next several decades. How do you talk to your customers about the difference between that and if they're trying to make a decision about whether to 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 just fine tune uh, an existing model? So our model is our belief is every business will have to fine tune. Now there are things that you can do without fine tuning, because the value of that task is good enough without fine-tuning, right? But the way that Samanova thinks about it is a corporation has a broad range of highly integrated tasks that you do. You know, you don't go and just do a summarization of something without understanding, interpreting the legality and all the legal terms of something else without understanding the extraction of information off of a 10K, Right, So organizations have complexities in them of which different AI models are important in actually coming in and interpreting those correctly for you to make a good decision. And so the hallucinations that we're talking about, when you look at people using uh, the the models today and where the models hallucinate or the accuracy is not high enough, it's not just because the model wasn't trained enough. Right, In many of these cases, these models have been trained for many, many trillions of tokens. But it's not because it wasn't, didn't have enough tokens. It didn't have access to your data, right? And so there is no way for a public model that has no understanding of a private data to understand your private you know, information. There's just no way. And so, so now right there, right there is where you have the, um, the struggle that most businesses have, which is I would like – I love these large LLMs, these public LLMs. I love GPT-4. I just want it to be on my private data. I want it to understand every contract I ever signed. I want to understand every every employee I ever hired, every customer I ever supported. I want to understand everything that every detail spec of my internal projects, you know, every bug that was ever filed against my code base. I want to understand all of those things, but I don't want to disclose it to the open domain. I don't want ChatGPT to know my revenue, the details of how I generated revenue for the last 10 years. I don't want to do that, right? Because that's my secret sauce, 
right? And so, so right there is where we kind of do the distinction that if you like the capabilities of these uh, large LLMs, which fantastic capabilities now demonstrated by OpenAI, and you have many other companies now doing it, right? Well, someone over, what we do is we say, look, you want that, we'll give you a hot start to build your own. Right? We'll come in with a two trillion parameter model. We'll come in with all the hardware infrastructure. We, we'll pre-train those models on the hardware. We'll pre-optimize it so that it's efficient. All the work that you otherwise have to do yourself, we'll pre-select kind of which are the base models that you should use. You know, Llama models are good for this. Mistral models are good for that. These tasks, you know, we'll give you all the infrastructure for security and being able to kind of control who has access to which responses. All of that, we'll give you all of that in a pre-packaged format which is a summon of a full stack platform, hardware, so all, all of those things. And then where your customization comes is you expose your data to that model. That day one, we show up with what's called a composition of experts, which is basically back to, Dave, your question about how is it open source? Many companies build these large, large, multi-trillion parameter models by training a single large monolithic model. Right? They take two trillion parameters or 1.5 trillion parameter model and they just train it. They spend millions and millions of dollars training against you know, multiple trillions of tokens and they get the quality of as high as they can. Some Anova's philosophy on is a little bit different. And again, this may be also part of the contrarian, you know, full stack being contrarian number one, right? Fine grain experts is you know, the second thing that we do. We're focusing on taking... Um, Open source models, say a Llama 7B or a Mistral model, a base model that's open source so that you can test, evaluate, you, know, you can do all the you know, a compliance testing on these open source models. Then we use those models and we optimize it on our platform so they're base models, they're ready to go, but they only know public data. And what someone over does, because we control the full stack of hardware, software, the training recipe, the inferencing production uh, uh, recipe, all of those things, we can deploy these racks wherever your data sits. And on the first day of plugging it in, we can start fine-tuning 100 experts on 100 different disks, 100 different data sets, so that now you have an expert on your HR, you have an expert on your customers, you have an expert on your, your code base. In fact, you can have an expert for every customer uh, uh, support that you have. You have an expert on every product line that you might have. You have, might have an expert on every region, right? And you create this composition of hundreds of experts, each of them extremely knowledgeable about one aspect of your business, and then we compile them together into a large trillion parameter model where we then create an overlay, a router model if you want, to then select the right expert to respond. Which turns out is the way that we deal with healthcare today. You don't go into a hospital and say, hey, you know, like, you know, can you check on my teeth and also check on my knees? And the same person, you know, like it's not usually you, you go to somebody that says, okay, you, go, you need to see an orth orthopedic uh, doctor or you need to see a pulmonologist, right? I mean, that's effectively how we do that today. But we want to do that with, with AI that if you want to generate a contract for a particular vendor, you want to call the, the legal expert that's been trained on the way that you structure contracts, right? If you want to train a chatbot to do customer service for your clients in uh, Southeast Asia, you want to bring an expert to understand how to do customer service in Southeast Asia, right? So, so you want to actually have these very, very highly accurately trained experts, fine-grained trained on the local data sets so that they are at the highest accuracy on the private data, but then deploy them as a cumulative composite. 
So that's a summon over recipe. How you generate that? I I, I think I'm following you conceptually. Um, I'm interested. I'm really curious about how <coughs> where the points of integration are that are um, are different from say, um, you know the 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 idea of you know. Using a building a grounding engine, doing fine tuning on a public model, for example, where the integration points simplify or take away the pain points for a CTO about how to make the decision to get going, because it sounds like your growth right. is like this. Just feels like a simpler choice, but I, I'm exactly. kind of curious about why. Well, it's a simpler choice for people who have that level of complexity, right? If your business is of a certain scale and your business is, has um, complexity um, because it's geographically complex, it's you know, a lot of customers, a lot of different uh, rules and a lot of different vendors, a lot of, you know, if your business is complex, then it's got to handle a lot of different things. If you're a researcher doing image recognition of, you know, flowers at a university, you probably don't need some Manova. Right, you can take a llama or a, a, a vision, you know, a vision transformer model, and you go fine tune on some data, and off you go. Right, but if you have terabytes and terabytes of data, you're not exactly sure what it all says. Right. Well, we have this customer, a fifty. It's a it's a Fortune 500 U.S. company uh, with with fifty fifty some years of data. Right. Some of the PDFs they have there no are no longer even supported, but but they have specs in there that customers still use. Right, and so how do I even know kind of what are the specs that customers were using and relying on, right? How do I interpret all of those things? And so, so we kind of go into these places where we say, if your business is complex, not just in terms of kind of the, the products you offer, the geographies, all the things that you're trying to do, but you have a lot of data over a long period of time, right? How do you know what's what? And because of your business, because of the privacy and because of uh, the restrictions, you can't disclose that to somebody's open domain, even if it's closed, right, in many businesses, I mean, they've had, if you talk to some of the banks, many of them have had their business um, in the cloud for 20 years. And then you ask them, well, what percent of your data is in the cloud? They'll tell you, oh, less than 10%. Okay, so you've had 20 years to decide what operates on-prem, what operates in the cloud, and yet the majority of the data still resides in, in very secure environments. And so we go back and say, look, when you want to train your own private model, I'll go back to the first thing I said, which is data is your currency. The value of your model is proportional to what private data you feed it. Right? Otherwise, it's just basically the same commodity model that everybody else can buy. Right? But the differentiated value of the model compared to the public trained model is going to be proportional to how much private data you feed it that understands your business better than anybody else. And if you only feed it 10% of your private data, it's only 10% better. If you either 100% private, it's 100% better, right? And so if you today say, where is most of your data? And we don't care. We're agnostic. We'll, we'll put it in the cloud. We'll put it wherever. Most of our large enterprises will say, oh, we've got a, a lot of data in all sorts of different environments, some in the cloud, some in the private, some, some in colo, some in, you know, and it's too complex. And so Samanova becomes a very attractive option because we don't force you to have to make decisions on how to disclose data. We'll bring the AI to you. We'll roll the racks of AI with pre-trained open source models, and we'll go and fine-tune on all the private data, wherever the data sits, which you've already vetted for 20 years. You decided over 20 years that data sits there. 
right? And every year you think about maybe I should move that data somewhere else, and you don't, right? And so, so we say, okay, well, if you if you've decided to house that data in this location, you can battle the the the, the uh, data mobility thing with your infosec people, or someone else can come and just bring the AI infrastructure over to that data, and then we sit in on the same subnet and we train it off that data, and you have an expert that understands what the data says. If you think about a global company that's having data housed all over the world, sometimes for you know speed and <clears throat> and access, uh, sometimes for you know specific data governance laws, um, right? Uh, am I right to think that you'd say, well, we're going to put we're going to put boxes in each of those locations, which also will help them quite a lot because they're not sitting there trying to figure out how to extract data from country A and moving it to country you know B or C where the where the you know scaled models are from you know, open domain kind of models, you can actually handle the data and provide the, the, you know, the models in situ, in, you know, in location. Exactly right. And so if you think about kind of what, what are your alternatives today, right? What is the mo- most popular choice you might have today? The most popular choice might be you go in and you say, okay, well, I want to take advantage of Gen AI. And so I would like to go and use OpenAI with Azure in a particular location. Right? That's a very common thing that some people do. It's like, okay, well, I'm just going to tap into, create an enterprise-grade private copy of this thing within, within Azure. Azure has the agreement with OpenAI. They'll provide the, the GPT-4 services on Azure, and then I get to use that public, uh, that public service, right? And I pay Azure for it. So that's good. Okay, so that's one use case model. And it will serve some things until you get to the point where you have to start disclosing your bank private information. Right, and the regulators are coming. It's like, well, what are you opening up? Well, what are you disclosing to OpenAI? And prove to me that that customer data does not get embedded into that model and stay in the model in perpetuity. Right? Prove to me that that client's information does not get shared to all the OpenAI customers because that model is a shared model. Right? And so, prove to me that. And right there, you start running into this dilemma of, well, I want to fine tune results because people, I mean, there's lots of data that shows now that the fine tuned result is significantly higher accuracy. What people aren't, nobody's debating the value of fine tuning. People are debating is it worth the cost? worth the time, worth the effort, worth all that. But no one's debating that. And for some things, like can you create a marketing slide off of this thing, it might not be worth it because all public information is good enough. Yeah, you can do some retrieve augmented uh, generation that's good enough. And so you can say, okay, for those tasks, it's good enough. But then it's a bunch of things like, okay, generate a, um, um, a uh, security breach report from this hacker out of this you know, location. Well, you probably don't want to be disclosing all of those things into the public domain. Yeah. Right? And so now you kind of have a different value use case for which you do need to go and fine-tune all the data and all the breaches that you have and all of the things that you were understanding to try to figure out what pattern was causing this to become a an exposure to your business, right? And so this is why we look at ourselves as a very complementary solution to OpenAI that there's a, a lot of things that you can do with OpenAI and they're great for and and as you evolve from that you go into the high value private use cases that private data is necessary in order to actually fine tune the model properly to produce valuable results and for those things we are uniquely able to do that because we can then deliver these the hardware deliver the software deliver these open source pre-trained models that are optimized on the entire stack. They're all going to be 
uh, um, 7B to 70B type of models. They're all pre-trained and often, you know, think of it as uh, just a, um, a system with hundreds of llama model slots. Equally trained, equally optimized, ready to go, and you just point them to 100 different disks. Right, and you and we'll fine tune every single one for different expertise that you might have. Some in different languages, some in different uh, scopes, some in different tasks, and then we assemble then this entire model that looks like an open you know, ChatGPT type of model, but only you have access to it, only you have control to it, only you can talk to it, and in the end, you own the model. Someone over never takes it because anything we always say, train on your data is your model. Hmm. So, right? can you help me understand this? Uh... Um, from a, a sort of conceptual architecture perspective, if there's a hurdle for a company that's got a, a number of different applications, you know, multiple obviously, um, all uh, API available, they might be thinking about or have already done um, some degree of knowledge graph construction so that they can query these different and develops um, a user interface so that um, people in the company can query certain data sets in a consistent way uh, and, and in a contextually um, relevant way. What's the integration layer that uh, sits between sort of these slots of, of expert models that allows someone to be able to access that without um, developing a semantic model of sorts. Exactly. And so if you think about kind of the APIs today, when you have the APIs that you might have with GPT-4, chat GPT, right? You, obviously, you have the chat interface where you're live typing and getting the results back, right? We have an equivalent way of doing that just because people want to be able to experiment, right? Now, in production, that's not usually how most people do that. They actually send through standard APIs, right? These queries come in and these queries either come in in complex, way, iterative ways or in single-shot ways. So we have all the standard same APIs. In fact, we have many customers that use those same APIs. They point into one uh, uh, one model. They then immediately just point it over to their private version of it that they train with Sambanova, and they get you know, the same results. So, so the application itself doesn't change because you're just ba- basically passing tokens back and forth, right? I want to ask about this. I just want to ask it to this model versus asking to my private Sambanova model, right? And so, uh, so, so what you get here is basically if you have the construct uh, already set as far as, and by the way, Sambanova, we draw our line at that API interface, Right, we really believe that our customers and our customers have a better understanding of what the that final mile of application should look like, where the buttons go, and what you know, what things their business want to do. Or they've already contracted with certain vendors to actually create, you know, like the legal assistant or the you know the 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 marketing assistant or whatever. You know, those are things that we partner with companies to go build that final layer application. What we, are, what we are good at doing is we're good at creating that knowledge base. We're creating that large GPT model. Our value proposition is we can bring the infrastructure to train that GPT to be knowledgeable about your private data. And most people can't, hmm. right? That because most people, you have to disclose it into some environment, and then you have to fight your security people on, 
all the risks that you took by disclosing all this information that over the last 20 years you have already decided not to disclose, right? So you battle your own internal corporate on what information can be part of AI. And our view of it is all of it should be part of AI. You just need a secure way to access it. And so why don't I just bring AI to you, right? You've already vetted your own ecosystem. Some data can be in the cloud. Some is on-prem. Some is in this location. Some in that location. I'll just drop the boxes where your data sits and we'll enable it through that way. And that's what's become really valuable for people that we can give you the same capabilities that uh, these large, large cloud models can give you, except I can train your private data and the same access points that you have into, say, a GPT-4, you can get through Samanova, right? And so it's just a decision point for you of kind of what do you want to use your private data trained model for versus you want to use the public um, trained uh, model for. How do you, uh, how are your customers handling the challenge of uh, data governance and access and different levels of access within an organization? So you could say, we take in all the corporate information, we train the model, uh, but then, uh, you know, um, Bob is trying to access the model and Bob really only has access to say 60% of what's actually gone into the training in previous worlds, go through some sort of a governance process to figure out where they can access the file, but the models already yeah. been trained on the file that he's not supposed to be able to see. How, how are right. how are they managing that when you do this, you know, large scale hoovering up of data? Yeah, this is another value for why we believe in you know, these narrow experts versus a composition of hundreds of these experts versus big monolithic, yeah. right? So if I showed up with a two trillion parameter model, a monolithic model, some people call it a mixture of experts. You may have heard that term, right? That where you just throw all the data at it, let the model ingest it, and then somehow you decide who gets to see what. Well, it turns out incredibly difficult, right? Because if I just ask, even a private model that was trained privately, if I sell... If I say, hey, tell me something about Helen and Dave, right? Well, they live in Bend, Oregon, and whatever. You know, like, they'll still some information, and then they'll start spewing, oh, and they make this much money, and they have that much money, and this, right? I mean, it just starts being stuff that you don't want people to know, right? But because it's a mixture, there's no way to control what information gets spewed out, or it's very difficult to do it. It's extremely difficult. And so there are companies trying to solve that problem by doing an overlay at the end, Right? Um, our strategy is simpler, right? We're just going to go and create fine-grained experts, right? This one got trained on HR. This got trained on legal. This got trained on this. And then, based on your user access, we will tell you if you originally have access to that data set. If you didn't, you don't have access to the expert. Right? If I train a Llama 7 model on data set A, train another Llama, Llama 7 model on dataset B, C, D, and so forth, right? If you, as Bob, didn't have access to dataset A, you should not have access to expert A. Full stop. Yeah, right? So, so over the years, what we did was we're just leveraging existing investments that companies have already made. They've vetted that whole system out. In fact, our APIs for secure access just ties into your entire existing model for granting access to people. You already did that. You vetted it. You approved it. Why try to go and learn something new when your InfoSec people have already created something that they're comfortable with, right? And so basically, the way it works is we go and create, say, 200 experts, right? 200 Llama 
Llama 2-based experts, each of them trained on 200 different data sets, right? Every single one of those two data sets, and our advice to most people is every time you have a different access control of data set, create a separate expert. Because now you can create a separate control of when the query prompts and the and the there's a router underneath that routes the expert when a question comes in, right? And you say, can you generate a, a mutual NDA for Latin America, right? And it will go and pull that expert in because it can interpret, semantically interpret what the question it is and find the most likely expert to answer that. But before it provides that response, it will check to see if you, as Bob, has access to that expert, right? And for something like an, an, an NDA, you probably do, so okay, we'll generate it. If you want to find out how much money does somebody in the company make and what, what, what was their compensation for the last seven years, you'll go and check and say, well, are you in HR? You, right? And I and would say, unfortunately, you don't have access to that information. The expert, so this is why I say when people talk about mixture of expert, our answer is don't mix, Right? That's why if you look at Sambanova in our page, we talk about the composition of experts. We compose these experts that are finally trained into a multi-trillion parameter model because businesses are complex and you need all of the, that expertise and you need to be able to encompass all the complexity that businesses have. But don't mix because once it's mixed, you can't control who gets to see what. Right? So you're spot on exactly. And so our, we just chose a simpler approach, which is, I'll just train the data based on whatever access control you've already set up on, and then we'll compose it in the same way. And then all the things that you've done for 10, 20, 30 years still apply. How do the economics right? work there? Is it, is, it, um, is it linear that, you know, it's just a sort of one-for-one, one, it's okay to have 200, 300, 4,000 experts, or um, is there pressure to have, economically, to have s- fewer Larger models. It, it, how, is that? Is it? How modular is it? I guess is the question. So in production, most of your viewers today we're still kind of in this world where people are very training centric, right? Uh, it's about training. How much? How, uh, you know, how much money is it to train, right? And and you you hear a lot of people talking about that, which is great. But most people once they get into production, and you will see this already, you see this with kind of some of the things that uh, uh, people reporting with uh, OpenAI and things like that, that in production, 80 plus percent of your cost will be in inferencing. Right? Once the model has been trained, you're just deploying and just letting a lot of people use it. And that cost of inferencing, it's extremely expensive today. Right? Why? Because you don't have a great way of actually maintaining low enough latency. For example, you want to chat to it, and your expectation is it should respond in milliseconds. Right? I talked to it. But then you re- you're reading that, and while you're reading that, on the other side, that GPU has got to wait for you to read. And sometimes you're reading it, sometimes somebody interrupts you, you're chatting with them, and you, know, you have other things that you're thinking about. Oh, another text message popped in. You. So the whole time you're distracted and not interacting with the inferencing server, that server is locked up by you waiting. And imagine now happening that happening to a billion people on this planet. Right? And so what happens is the problem you have today is one that where the inferencing the inferencing cost of these large models is going starting to dominate. 
and dominate not because we don't have a better way to deploy. It's just because the current way to do it is just very expensive. You don't have a way to kind of share multi-tenant like all right now. Basically, every every person needs to have their own dedicated server. Otherwise, the, the latency is too is too long. And so, what we try to do with Samanova by having the full stack now is we're able to actually collapse that footprint. Collapse the required footprint because we can see hundreds of models all, all at the same time. In fact, we'll say you know tell people if you if you only have ten models, you should probably just spin up uh, something on the cloud, right? But most global two thousand businesses, as we deploy very quickly, you know, so some people couldn't tell us like, well, maybe maybe I only have fifty models, and I say, okay, well, let's talk about this for a second. Um, how many departments do you have? Because my experience is every department wants to control their data as private and they don't want to share it with any other department. Oh, okay, I have 30 departments. Okay, so that's 30 copies of whatever you decide to do, right? So if you have summarization as one task, multiply that by 30, right? If you have Q&A as another task, that multiply by that. You know. So suddenly every department having their own privacy concerns about the tasks they want to do and having them all individually controlled suddenly exploded the total number because you have multiple copies. And then I go back and say, okay, now you have you did that for the Oregon location. How many locations do you have and how much do they want to actually protect their model's individuality? Oh, okay, well, i got 5,000. Okay, multiply that by 5,000, especially if you go into certain countries where data privacy and data sovereignty is under control, you cannot let the data in that country leave the country. Okay, so now you got to do a whole copy of this into that country with no data of that country spewing back out. Okay, I need a whole not You know, so, so the multiplication of the complexity of the business by location, by function, by departments, by, you know, all of these different things suddenly make it so that by the time I finished the calculation, I, I told them, well, one system is hundreds of experts. They're like, oh, that's probably enough. They started thinking, well, maybe I need to start thinking about in terms of racks and racks of systems because I have so many different people that are going to want their own segregated thing, but I don't want them to all go and buy their own separate thing, right? At least in this way, you have a common way of managing the infrastructure. You have a you have the ability to monitor how people are using it. You have the uh, ability to test to make sure there are no, no risks that they took on behalf of the company unnecessarily. There's a commonality to it. You can continue to plan right in a consistent way versus what happens right now is everybody's like, oh, I don't know, let me spin up some more GPU somewhere in some other cloud or buy some myself and just put it under my desk. I mean, it becomes this hodgepodge of things, which after a few years is really hard to undo. Hmm. Right, really hard to do. I, was talking I to still had to undo that. Excel spreadsheets under <laughs> <laughs> the server under the desk, let alone this. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And and so this is where we talk, we tell businesses like it's it's good to kind of um, start slowly, but it's also good to have an opinion on how you're going to grow and expand. Because if you do a lot of work on the wrong path, you're going to invest twice as much to undo and get back on the right path. Right, and so a lot of what someone has done over the last uh, few years is take a lot of the learnings we've had over the many decades, building these types of solutions for enterprises and understanding how technology transitions come in, and allow allow people to come in and say, "Let me start with a single use case, just one key use case, and allow me to bring my private data into that use case. Allow me to show value, but that investment is additive over time. I don't have to throw it out." I can add a second use case 
Again, our third use case. Again, our, maybe once I get to 50 use cases, okay, I need to expand. I've got to add a little more hardware. Okay, It's all additive. So the protection, the investment protection is there because you want to be able to be in this position where you kind of grow and evaluate. And as you copy the, it doesn't become all bespoke, right? Mm -hmm. All these are like, there's no rhyme or reason how you do this. And, and a lot of this is just because that's our only, that's our sole focus. Our sole focus is how do we bring AI into the enterprise and create a secure environment where your private data can be deployed into a model without you worrying about how, you know, what risk you incurred by doing so. So when you look at the the various use cases across your customer base, uh, I'm curious how many of them you find to be relatively static. Um, they've done it once, a summarization tool for the marketing department. Probably doesn't need to be updated all that much, you know. Um, but then, you know, we've worked on other data projects where the CEO wants an update of the data every 15 minutes, right? Um, how much are you seeing um, companies tackle those more real-time uh, update that's going to be require really frequent retrainings. Are those use cases coming through, or or do they tend to be more of the sort of static train once and just focus on the inference? Well, I mean, so so we promote a model of continuous fine tuning. Okay. Okay. So you're always inferencing. We're always inferencing because in the world of AI train, you know, most people talk about ROI, right? Return on investment, right? And so in the world of AI. Training is the I, right? The R doesn't come until you start inferencing, right? You know, like all the, all the training work we're all doing today, you know, in models is really the investment piece. Let me train, let me train, let me train. Well, where do I get the return? The return comes when I get value, more knowledge, more, you know, velocity, more customers, more revenue, more services. That's my return to the business, right? And so, so we're very focused on the return side. And so that's why we, we, we put a lot of attention on production inferencing, right? Like how do you get a use case as quickly as possible to start bringing value to your business? Because for a number of different reasons, inclusive of businesses need to justify investments that they make, that we value people coming in and getting their models to production. Right. And that's why we do it in that way. Now, if I kind of take that and just uh, expand, of course, you got to see that we're, like I said earlier in this uh, on this uh, on this um, podcast is we're very additive to the other options and solutions that people have out there, you know, namely open AI and things like that, that there's a, a bunch of things that you can use those models and it's great for, right? And people just use it and it's good enough because you don't have to fine tune or you don't have to fine tune very often and it's just good enough, Right. And you have a bunch of things that you're not quite comfortable doing because it requires private data. There's a certain latency and fine-tuning. There's a certain response time you need, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and so that's where we fit in and we come in. And so I'll give you an example. Um, so you think about like security, right? You may say, okay, well, we don't need to fine-tune that often. Well, it turns out in the world of security, the types of things that are out there interpreting certain code names or certain viruses that are out there and certain hackers and certain, I mean, those are happening daily. Right? And if you're not learning from everything that's happening, you're behind. Mm. Why? Because the hackers are using AI. Right? You know, so 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 we we're in this we're in this mode where we think there are always gonna be a high a set of high value use cases where the latency to get to a particular knowledge, the latency to get to a particular insight is going to be of high, high value. Right? 
Think about high-frequency trading and capital markets. Think about security. Think about knowledge and intelligence. Think about like you know, logistics. Like, I mean, logistics is an incredibly complicated environment because you have every single day you have new situations coming in. You're trying to figure out how to take the most recent information and completely re-target how you might operate, right? And so, I mean, there's a recency to the data that matters because the weather patterns from last year don't matter. You care about the weather pattern of like tomorrow, Mm. Right. And so so there's a lot of in, in business, there's a lot of there are a lot of use cases where recency matters and live response time matters. Right. And having fine tuned it once a year ago doesn't matter. And this is, again, one of the things that we really factored into a composition of experts that because it's hundreds of experts, they're asynchronously trained and fine tuned, asynchronously added to the model. Then you can train some once a year. Some you can train every day. Right. And plug in, because there is a complexity to the business where some data changes a lot. Here's my, what, you know, I should have an expert for my corporate policy. What are what what, what is you know, my company's corporate policy? That probably changes no more than once a year. In some cases, maybe you know, much longer. Well, there's no need to kind of go and keep fine tuning that model because that doesn't change very often. Right. But, you know. Let's just talk about, you know, kind of the quarterly announcements, investors, they, and they want to understand the trends that the top 500 CEOs spoke of the last quarter about the trends in the market and what they're seeing across in, in, the, in the commentary of the CEO, right? Give me a summary of the top five points that all these 500 CEOs talked about in their quarterly announcement over the last two months. Well, that you got to fine tune at least once a quarter, yeah. right? Once a month, mm. Right, because otherwise, how do I in- interpret the terminology and all? You know, like you know, how do I interpret all of those things, right? And and a lot happens in the linguistics of a single year, right? You know, how at the end of the calendar, we just went through this with the calendar year, right? New new terms got added to the Webster dictionary, right? Every year, some new terms got added, right? Well, those terms are important for the models to understand. Right. And code names and new businesses, you know, like new companies show up and new, right. All new people show up, right. New investors, new, new, new entrepreneurs, right. They, they show, and those names become part of our business. And if you don't fine tune them, they don't know what it is. New weather. Right. And how pertinent. <laughs> new weather. Um, one of the things that, that, that we, that we track a bit and we've tracked over the last 10 years is, uh, um, the the shifting dynamics that that AI brings for a CTO to think through um, vendor lock in path dependency in terms of the architecture choices um, impact on technical debt those kinds of aspects I'm really curious to to um, ask about open source and how you're working with the open source community and. And this this rubric of open source versus not open source, and uh, on prem versus in the cloud, and the the various sort of aspects of thinking through how you might um, make decisions for the next however many years in terms of a, a, your architecture stack, how this has changed over the last twelve months in people's minds in the open source community and how you're hearing CTOs talk differently about some of their longer-term architecture decisions um, 
and the 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 process of vendor lock-in or the process of making these long-term investment decisions um, in terms of whether it's training or um, you know the actual infrastructure of the hard infrastructure of of um, computing and how this has actually changed that conversation. Right, I think I think everyone over the past year uh, has had a chance to at least kick the tires with some of the uh, model vendors. Almost everybody has had experience with hardware options, NVIDIA GPUs and others, right? And so I think over the past 12 months, 2023, most companies at least to some extent got some real-life experience of kind of what are the capable capabilities that these vendors offer and also the experience of what happens when you have to negotiate without options, right? And so financially, well, when we talk to most, most, uh, most of our our customers, everyone's looking for choice, right? Everyone's looking for choice because AI is not a 2023-2024 technology. It's an investment that you will make for the next two decades, right? And a lot of people are very concerned about, you know, do I end up in, in the world today, we have some large, large companies that are, uh, that, that control entire markets, where the, the where the enterprises are completely dependent on them, and you and you know you you you, you I'm I'm sure you know your your clients can your your audience can name a, a bunch of those right, but but so our clients are very sensitive to that. They're like, well, I don't want AI to be the beginning of another one of those where we kind of created that situation. Now with the models, I would say that we're experiencing a Linux moment for AI. Right, if you look at the Linux moment, I, I, at the time I was with Sun microsystems and we had the best operating system in the world with Solaris at the time, right? And this little project, open source project, Linux, and we said, oh, I'll never make the enterprise. You know what I mean? How could it, right? How could it possibly be good enough? To... And we're experiencing that with open source models. Like you look at you know, the Llama models, really good. Mistral models, really, really good. You know, Stripe Hyena, really good. I mean, you look at some of these models, I mean, Pretty good. And then you start taking, you know, you, you start having people like us who are creating private composites of these for various different models. They're very different things they're really good at. And we assess that. And then we create private enterprise ready, enterprise grade versions of those that look at 10Ks and look at, you know, things that enterprises care about, right? That we then take these composites and create even more value on top of it. And we prepackage them as enterprise-grade models that people can just get. It becomes extremely valuable. And in addition to that, it's extremely auditable, right? Which for a lot of our clients in enterprise, uh, as you get to certain tasks, and not all, all tasks will be regulated and audited, but for a lot of our clients, there are enough tasks that the, the regulators come and say, well, show me why you deny somebody that loan. Prove to me that there wasn't some bias that you know, made that decision. Prove to me that you know you complied with the regulations of this country when it comes to data. Prove to me, right? And and when you get to that type of use case, you need the open source models because you have to then trace the entire decision that was made by the by the models, right? To comply with the regulators. And so so as Sammanova, we decided as a company. Everything we do is based off of open source models. And even models that we train, we put it into open domain, right? Because we want to contribute to that. We believe it's the way that the future will go. And the value then on top of it is taking these base open source models that then allow 
our clients to quickly deploy their data, their private and high-value data onto these models so they can get intelligence from their data and not worry about the complexities of these black box models where they don't know if you know, it was properly trained, they don't know if it was properly regulated. They, you know, there are a lot of questions that people have, and so, so we try to just uh, open it all up so that clients that are making this as part of the production flow can evaluate it for themselves. One last question for you. Um, one of our obsessions is thinking about, um, we call it memory versus margins. So the longer the memory that the application wants to have, the longer the context window, if you will. But you want to remember, if you're, if you're looking at 10Ks and you want to see trends over 10 years, it's an extraordinary amount of data. It feels to me like having an on-prem box like yours would be an ext- extremely attractive option for that kind of application because you're not worried about all of the compute fees going up into the API of, say, an open right. AI. Are you seeing that kind of use come through where some of your clients are do, using your box for something that is essentially a very large context because they've already bought the compute, they're not paying for it on a you know, per token basis when they're inferencing? Exactly, yeah. I mean, we, everything we do is unlimited use. And so, uh, so, so what we try to do for people is like, if you didn't have the constraints that the current market exists, how would you really do it? Yeah. Right? Like the whole conversation, sometimes I kind of laugh because people are like, well, you don't need fine tuning. There is not a single person out in the world that says fine tuning is worse than no fine tuning. Now, you can argue, is it worth it? Right? Is it worth the cost? Is it worth the time? Is it worth the effort? Now, you can argue that, but there is in no, in no you know, uh, uh, credible use case is the fine tuning of a particular data set going to produce a worse result than the, than the non, right? Yeah. So, same with context window. If you want to actually remember, you know, kind of uh, more things, which most people do, nobody says that. Like, if I gave you the same cost, the same power, the same footprint, everything the same, one, I can remember 256K sequence length, one, I can give you 2K. Which one do you want? 100% of the people. I, if I told you that there is no cost difference, no power, no difference between any of these, which one do you want? Almost everybody wants to remember everything that they, 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 they had, right? And so our view of it is the, the technology is too early for you to put these constraints because those constraints create bad habits, right? Because now you're creating these band-aids on top of the band-aids before you need them. So what we like to do ideally is say, look, in most things – Fine-tuning is much, much better than retrieval. And we use retrieval after we fine-tune, right? Because there is you know, a certain set of things that doesn't make sense to fine-tune. But fine-tune to make the best decision to get your accuracy as high as possible. It's hard enough, right? Without the fine-tuning, the hallucinations make horrible decisions and enterprise cannot accept the, the, the error rate. And so fine-tune to get the highest quality of the model. Once you have that, then use Retriever to actually give you the full context and then give the you know, context window as wide as possible to allow you to actually make a better, better, you know, uh, um, um, produce a better, better result, right? And so that's kind of ultimately what we like to do. And because we make the use unlimited, right, you have the infrastructure, use it however you want, and you have more than you know how to consume because most of the time we show up with two trillion parameters with hundreds of experts and people show up, you know, they, they start with, well, I only have 50 experts. Okay, well, use it for, I don't know, like, you know, start fine-tuning things that you didn't even know you needed to fine-tune. Just try it and see, right? And so when we actually democratize the cost, 
right? And we just collapse the cost of use and collapse the cost of trial and experimentation, collapse the cost of all of these other things that today you say, ah, maybe I don't want to try because as soon as I touch the keyboard, I guess uh, start getting charged. Well, what if it? What if it's already all in? It's already an experiment. It's too early for you not to experiment. It's too early for you. In fact, we encourage you to launch the same model, train it on five different data sets, and then ask the same question to all five and see what you get. The cost is the same if you train it on one because you already have the infrastructure. We don't care. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same. It's a fixed price regardless. And so, so that's kind of the summit of a model that allowed us to actually get a lot of traction, which is we just give you the unlimited use of a single uh, uh, um single footprint, and um, and that's allowed most of our clients to really be able to make much better long-term decisions for the companies, much better long-term decisions that allow them to kind of put in the right track instead of like band-aiding right now, and then coming back, so, well, how come I didn't use long sequence back then? Oh, because I was worried about spending too much money and something, you know, I didn't have enough budget or whatever, and now you're spending 10 times more to undo all the things that you created into systems and you know, your, your comments around integration. Well, like you snowballed this into all this infrastructure that can only support 2K when the world's moving to a million sequence. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, it's been, been fascinating uh, and I'm really glad that we've been able to spend the time. Yeah, thanks for having me and great, yeah, great to chat and uh, look forward to seeing what 2024 brings. Stay